0: Well, you take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter. You have access to a, a Bible. I am so sorry. I could have put the text up on the screen, but uh, I did not do so today. I keep forgetting that we're not providing even pew Bibles um, so that we don't have people touching stuff, <laughs> okay? So, but let me read the text. We began a study of 1 Peter two weeks ago, and the first study dealt with the man Peter and all of the information that's given in the Scriptures about him. Prior to that study, I had no idea of the concentration of information about that man. I knew there was a lot in the Bible, but as I did that work, I was amazed at everything that was said about him. And then last week, I gave you a kind of bird's-eye view of the book, knowing that those believers were facing suffering, suffering for the name of Christ, the cause of Christ, believers that had uh, been exiled, some of them from the city of Rome. We know that this was toward the end of Peter's life, And shortly, he was going to face a certain death. He would have to sit and watch his wife's life be taken from her, right in front of him. And then they would crucify Peter upside down. That man whom God used as a leader among the 12, that man whom God used as a leader in the early church has left us these two letters through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And they're rich. And I believe that they're going to be a help to you in the midst of your suffering. And so allow me to read the first two verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Those were regions in what is now modern Turkey, But then he says in the end of verse 1, who are chosen? Who are chosen? That's the key word today. Who are chosen? And then in verse 2, he's going to use three prepositions a preposition for each member of the Trinity. And every one of those prepositions are focused on the word chosen. You are chosen, verse 2, according, there's a preposition, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You are chosen by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The second preposition in this English translation, translated with the word by. According, by, and now here's the third preposition, to, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. So the very structure of these two verses is very easy to follow. He's going to talk about them being elect, and then he's going to take each person of the Trinity and share what each one has done in relation to election, to God's choice, and it is absolutely beautiful. And so as we continue along the theme of suffering, I want you, number one today, that in the midst of your suffering, I want you to remember that you are God's elect. You're a believer. You are God's elect. That word elect in this text means to call out you are the called out ones. You are the chosen ones. When you start looking at the Old Testament Scripture, you discover that God used the illustration of choosing a national people, people that were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In His sovereign plan for His own glory, He took one nation, and he said to us that I am fixing my sovereign love and choice on this nation, and I am making them my people, and I'm going to dwell in their midst. They're going to be my people, and, I, and, and, and I'm going to be their God. In doing that, God illustrates to all of us that he has a people, that he sovereignly elects. But it's not just made up of the national descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's made up of all the nations of the world. Men and women from every tongue and tribe and nation become His people through repentance and faith in His Savior. And the Bible is very clear in stating as well that just because someone is a national descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob does not automatically make them the spiritual people of God. And Paul would write, Not all Israel's Israel. You see, your identification as being a part of the family of God, the people of God, has has nothing to do with your natural descent. You're not born physically into the family of God. You are born again spiritually into the family of God by faith in the Savior. And it is that entrance into the family by repentance and faith that makes you the true Israel of God. So I want you to note that God had a national people to teach the world that He has a people, but His people are made up of people from every tongue and tribe and nation. And I want you to note that He doesn't even get out of verse 1 before He brings us to this great theological truth of God's sovereign choice. Now, some people are really disturbed by that great doctrine in the Bible. They choke on it, and they say, man, that just doesn't sound fair. I want you to know that God is just. Whatever God does is just. And we have no right to question our Creator for what He does, but we're sitting here struggling in life, approaching the end of our life, wondering about eternal things, there is nothing more settling than knowing for the believer that God chose me. You didn't choose God. God chose you. I find it very interesting that he calls them... In the original language, as the verse unfolds, the word order is they are elect aliens. Aliens. These were people, most probably the majority of whom were Jewish, but there's also Gentiles with them in this letter, in these churches, in these locations, they, they were scattered by the dysphoria. Do you know anything about Jewish history in the Old Testament? When God brought the Jewish people into the land of Israel and gave it to them as an inheritance, God came and gave His law and He told His people, if you obey Me, you're going to stay in the land. It'll be your inheritance. If you can keep the Ten Commandments, My covenant, God says, stay in the land. But you read the book of Deuteronomy and you discover that God said that if you cannot keep the covenant demands, I'm going to pull you out of the land and scatter you among the nations of the world. And God began doing that in 722 B.C. when 10 of the 12 Jewish tribes were pulled out of the land of Israel and scattered around the world. And guess where they are today? Scattered around the world. And then in 586, he took the remaining tribes and he pulled them out of the land during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar and scattered them around the world. As an illustration, you say, well, God, why did you choose a people? Why did you give them physical land as an inheritance and then pull them out of the land because they couldn't keep your law? My friends, they serve as an illustration to all of us of the inability of man to keep the covenant demands. There's not a person in this room who can say, I've got the Ten Commandments perfectly all my life. Not a one of us. And if I were more than the 1% Jewish, which I am, they found that in my DNA, I wouldn't have been able to remain in the land either because I cannot perfectly keep the covenant demands. Now, there's been a radical change that's taken place in my life because of the new birth experience but they're being removed from the land as an illustration of our inability to keep it. And so Peter's writing this letter, and he's reminding them that they're scattered. They're part of the diaspora. And here's the regions that they're in, in like our modern Turkey today. They're not in the land of Israel. Why? Because of the inability to keep the commandments of God. They're, they're lawbreakers. That's our nature. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And yet in the backdrop of that, he comes along and he says, In the fallen state, God has chosen you, elected you, called you. So in the midst of your suffering, remember that you're God's elect. Listen to some of these verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is in Ephesians chapter 1, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. When did God select His people? Before the foundation of the world? Before God ever laid a brick for the universe, in His plan, He graciously, sovereignly determined that you would be part of His people. And the reason for that is that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Holy and blameless. In love, He predestined us for adoption. To himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Why did you do it? Because he willed to. you know I'm adopted? I mean, I was raised in a foster home. I went when I was five. Spent all the years growing up till I was 18. 13 years I was in a foster home. My foster family uh, wanted to adopt me. My natural family said he's not up for adoption. But I am adopted. I have been adopted by God the Father. And I have an inheritance. Do you know what my inheritance is? It's not the measly things down here on earth but I am a joint heir with Christ. That's what the text says. And you don't know yet, and the world doesn't know yet what is mine. But someday they will. Christ is the heir of all things. And I'm a joint heir with Christ. Come along, I'll show you someday what's mine. I've been adopted. He has sovereignly chosen me. He has adopted me. How about 2 Thessalonians 2.13? We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. Now listen to this phrase. Because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Paul is writing to these Christians in Thessalonica. And he's saying God chose you to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've been chosen. God has sovereignly elected me. And if you're in Christ, he has you as well. He has fixed his... Love, his gracious, sovereign love on you. You read the Hebrew scriptures in Amos chapter 3 and verse 2. The Bible says, Israel only have I known. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean that he doesn't know anybody else, any other nation other than Israel? No, that's not what it means at all. That word for no means. Israel is the one that I have fixed my special love relationship, my intimate, predetermined relationship with the nation of Israel. And I am going to do that for a national people so that the world and history will know that I have a big group of people from all the nations that I have sovereignly placed my love upon, and I know them intimately. Remember when Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me? I know them and they know me. I am in Christ today not because I'm smart and that I sought after God, I am in Christ today because the God of glory for His own purpose and will in sovereignty graciously said, I'm going to choose Bill Jones, and He did it before He laid a brick in the universe. So it doesn't matter what you and I are going through down here. Past four months, the next four months, all the mess and the chaos of life on this earth It does not compare with the knowledge of who I am in Christ. Colossians 3.12, just to give you more supporting verses for this great doctrine of sovereign election. And so, as those who've been elect of God, chosen of God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart of compassion, Colossians 3.12. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 10, Paul would say this. He says, I endure all things in my ministry for the sake of those who are chosen, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Do you know why we preach the gospel in this place? I am really missing having an opportunity to preach the gospel to people. My heart is just overwhelmed and thrilled that we're starting to see people gather back in this space. But I miss being able to share the gospel with the line of people that wrap around the block every Wednesday and Saturday. Because I believe with all of my heart among those people are the choice elect. And God has chosen to save His people, the Bible says, through the preaching of the gospel as they hear the message of God's saving grace. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 48, those who were appointed to eternal life believed. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son. You were called. I came into fellowship with his son because of the calling of God. I heard the gospel of God. And it wasn't that I was smart enough to believe it. Something happened in my heart. My heart was opened up. And I was given a gift of a repentant faith. And the shackles fell off of my eyes and I saw who Christ was. God's Savior for humanity. That was given to me by the Spirit of God. It was given to me through the Word of God. It was given to me through the Gospel of God. Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers because he says, I've taken a look at your life and I see your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of God the Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. We should always give thanks to God for you because God has chosen you from the beginning. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but listen to this according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ from all eternity. I didn't choose me or choose you because of your works. He didn't, he didn't look down through time and said, you know, I see that man or that woman, and they're, they're pretty good. They do a lot of nice things for people. I'm going to fix my choice on them and make them my own. That's not how it worked. In eternity, before a brick was laid, God, for His own purpose, in His own justice, determined that He would have a people who would enjoy Him forever. And in time, He fixed His love upon them and opened up their heart with His gospel and drew them to Christ and gave them a gift of a repentant faith. God did that for me. So let the suffering come. I am elect. I am chosen. And there's nothing the world can give me that is better than that. But here's another thought. The text says, I am an elect sojourner. Stop and think about that word sojourner. I don't know if there's anyone here that immigrated to America in your life. I know my family immigrated to America. My great-grandmother came from England. They settled in New York. My great-grandfather did. Made his way across the states to the Colorado plains and prairies of Fort Collins stopped right by the range of the Rocky Mountains and settled there. But they left their homeland. Remember these Jewish people and these Gentile people left the land of Israel that their ancestors did years ago, and now they're scattered. They're around the world and they're here in this region. They're aliens. And the Lord wants to teach us something. Every believer. I'm not living in the land of Israel, but I am a sojourner. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. If you try to make this world... Your eternal home, you're going to be disappointed. Look back on what this world's brought you. Is that the focus in the heart of a believer? The nasty now and now? You're a stranger in this world. You've been exiled on this earth. Your citizenship is where? In heaven. You and I are residing temporarily. This this short, fading existence is but for a moment. It's like the front foyer, and then the doors open and we enter eternity. And eternity is forever. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God's. You can endure anything in life if you remember who you are and where you're headed. But we're not just to simply exist on this earth. We're here to reach the world. And God help us as believing people to not be foolish enough to love this world and its system. Life is not about money life is not about power life is not about possessions life is about people so believer in in the midst of your suffering live like an elect sojourner i think i have time for a couple more thoughts In the midst of your suffering, remember the sovereign choice of you by the Father. Look at verse 2. You are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That's the first thing about your election. That's the first thing about your choice. And this word for foreknowledge is only used twice in the New Testament. And then there's a corresponding word to it that's used five times in the New Testament. And if you look at all the references to this word, you begin to understand what it means. You don't know what the Bible means until you know what it says. As you look at all the references to these words, you discover that it's not just that God knows ahead of time. He has foreknowledge. Listen, God knows all things, and He knows far ahead of time what's going to happen but in many contexts this word is used communicating that God foreordains things. He determines things. He doesn't react to things. He makes things happen. You are chosen because God the Father predetermined to place His love, His gracious, sovereign electing love on you. I love that. It's not that I loved God. It's that He first loved me. It's not that I was seeking God, for no man seeks God. It was that God was seeking me. It's not that I chose God. It's that God chose me. It's not that I opened up my heart. It's that the Spirit of God opened up my heart. God gets all the glory, not Bill Jones. My salvation has everything to do with Him and not me. So in the midst of your suffering... Remember that you are an owner in the midst of your suffering. You remember God's sovereign determination to choose you. Here's a third thought. In the midst of your suffering, remember the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Look at the text. You were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, but you were chosen by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. You were chosen by, or in connection with what? The sanctifying work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God has everything to do with you being saved. And the purpose of your salvation is to sanctify you. What does that mean? Help me. It means to be set apart. God determined that when He saved you, He was going to call you out of a lost humanity and set you apart to Himself for His glory. And He began that process by His Spirit regenerating you, giving you life. And then the Spirit of God gave you a gift of a repentant faith. And then the Spirit of God is with you all of your life, working out the salvation in you by His power. And that's why we as believers are told to hear the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit, to not grieve the Spirit, to not quench the Spirit. We've not been left alone down here. The Spirit of God is with us. And His purpose is to set us apart more and more and more to the glory of God. He's changing us. This electing purpose of God has everything to do with being sanctified. You are chosen by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. But there's a final thought here. Not only are you chosen, not only are you an elect sojourner on this earth because of God's nation and sanctifying work of the Spirit, but you are an elect unto, now look at the text, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. The preposition there is a little Greek word, E I S. And it can be understood as either a purpose or a result. Do you know why God elected you? Do you know why he chose you from all eternity? Do you know why he sent his spirit to save you and me from our sin? so that he would do something radical in our nature and reverse what Adam brought us. First man sins. He disobeys. We're all his descendants. What he did has affected all of us. It's affected all of his people. We're all his people. We're sinners, unable to keep the covenant. But God determined that he was going to reverse that, and he did it in Christ And then He's going to start doing it in the hearts of people. And you read about the new covenant work of Christ in Jeremiah, and there's something God does. He takes our hearts, He takes our minds, and He writes His law on them. Not on tables of stone, but He puts it in our thinking. He changes the way we think, and now there's a desire in our life to obey the Lord. If you have no desire in your heart right now... To obey the Lord Jesus Christ, mark it down. You have no confidence. You're chosen or elect. For there's a result that comes because of this electing calling of God. It's a life of obedience to obey Jesus Christ. Our life begins with obedience. Matter of fact, the obedience of faith. Paul writes about that in Romans chapter 1. This faith in the Lord changes the heart, the mind, so we want to obey. Isn't that a glorious thing? In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He's going to call on believers and say, Listen, before you came to Christ, you lived a pretty vile life he said, stop being conformed to that. You've got a new calling on your life, and it's a calling of obedience. 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of of God. Called to holiness and sanctification, set apart more and more. (laughs) (coughs) To the Lord, that's not a corona cough, by the way. That's a heartburn cough. Elect unto obedience. Someone comes along and says, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, and you look at their life and there's no change. There's no desire for God. There's no hunger for righteousness. There's no repentance for our sinning. Mark it down. They've not been saved. Remember those the Lord taught and He said many of you in that day say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do all these healings? Lord. And then the Lord says, I'll look at them and I'll say, I never knew you. I'll never knew you. The greatest assurance you'll have of your sovereign election is your obedience. But thank God the verse doesn't stop there. God did all of this that we might obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. Now, I love that. But I'll tell you this. There's only a few places in the Bible where you read about people being sprinkled with blood. In the Old Testament, lepers were sprinkled with blood. But this... Text right here is Peter reaching clear back to Exodus chapter 24. Right after God had given them the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 and some sundry laws, and Moses comes down from the mountain, he's with the people of God, he's got the covenant. And he begins to share the covenant with all of the people. And the cry of the people is, whatever God says we're going to do, we're going to obey God's covenant. But he has to do something. He has to initiate that covenant relationship through a symbolic act. They have to kill animals. And they take the blood of those dead animals, and Moses sprinkles the pieces of tabernacle furniture, and then he comes along and he sprinkles the people. You see, they would cut animals in pieces, and covenanting parties would walk through the dead animals blood had been shed. They had walked through the dead animals, and it became a reminder to the parties in the covenant that if they don't keep their side of the covenant, they deserve death like these animals. It's a blood covenant. And yet, because of the kind grace of God, I didn't die to satisfy the justice of God. Christ did. He took upon Himself my disobedience to the covenant. He took my sin as if it were His, and He shed His blood, paying the penalty for the broken covenant demands. And that death of Christ has the power to cleanse Bill Jones from all of his disobedience. And I'm sprinkled with His blood, I have that assurance that Jesus died for me and God's justice has been satisfied. satisfied. But I would remind you of this. In that great ceremony, the sprinkling didn't come before they declared their obedience. The sprinkling came after they declared their obedience. Just like this text, elect to obey and be sprinkled with his blood. You know what gave me confidence today to be able to stand up here and confess my disobedience to the Lord before I took his table? What gave me that confidence is the cross work of Jesus. So what does this text tell in all of us today? There's some people here that are outside of Christ. You've never repented and believed. The first act of obedience to God is that. For the Scripture says that God is commanding all men everywhere to repent and believe His gospel. That's the first step of obedience. And if you have entered Christ through faith, if your faith and trust is in Christ then the calling of God on your life and my life today, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trial, remember this earth is not your home. There is an eternity in front of us. We are exiles. We are sojourners. We might not have ever been chosen by the world. We might be little in the eyes of the world. We might be a nobody in the eyes of the world. We might get a sense that we're a nobody even to ourselves. But my friend, if you're in Christ, you are chosen from all eternity. And because of that, yield to the Spirit This sanctifying spirit, this whole sphere in which this election operates is the sanctifying spirit of God who wants to set us apart from our sinning unto obedience to Jesus Christ. Let's renew our obedience to the Lord. And then let us rest knowing we've been sprinkled, cleansed, By his death. It's a great text. So carry it with you all week. Let it build up your soul. Let's pray together.